Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. There really isn't another journalist out there who's had a bigger impact on puberty education and parenting than Peggy Ornstein, the author of a number of books, including Girls and Sex and Boys and Sex, two books that we talk about a lot on this podcast, as well as a frequent contributor to outlets like the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, the New Yorker, NPR, PBS NewsHour, you get the idea. Peggy is an incredible voice, not only of the youth of today, but also of the parents who are trying to shepherd those kids through the process. She bridges a divide unlike almost any other writer out there. We are so lucky to have Peggy as a mentor and also as a friend, and now to have her on the podcast talking about her memoir which is an absolutely beautiful book called Unraveling. We hope you enjoy her as much as we do. Peggy, we are so happy to have you on the Puberty Podcast. I'm so happy to be here. I want to be here every day. You can. <laughs> we want we you can here make every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Peggy, I want to set the stage for the last time that we saw each other. I want to sort of let our listeners understand where we were. Actually, this is a little bit of a fit. The very last time we saw each other was when you were in LA three weeks ago, touring for this incredible book that we're going to talk a lot about, Unraveling. But um, the time before that, that we last saw each other, we were together on March 4th, 2020. We were sitting on a stage in San Francisco. Both had launched books. We appeared side by side in a book review in the New York Times, which was amazing. And then we got to do all these things on stage together with Common Sense Media, which was amazing. And events were getting canceled. Even that morning, there was an event. Were they already? Yeah, there was an event I was supposed to do in Marin that got canceled because there was one presumptive case of COVID that day. And so the event was shut down. But you and I, it was that evening of March 4th, and we sat on stage together and then got on a plane to fly back to LA afterwards. And Everyone on the plane 
was masked. And I was like, really? This is so interesting. I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. And then tomorrow the world basically shut down. Um, So you were literally the last person other than my family who I was with before I was locked into my house for 16 months in Los Angeles, basically. Yeah. I remember we had a lot of emails back and forth about it. We did. You and we I, did. Yeah. And look what you did during that time. You <laughs> a book, baby. <laughs> had to do something. <laughs> so this is the first time, Peggy, that we're actually meeting and you don't know this, but girls and sex I would say is one of my top three most formative books that I have ever read. It sits right over my shoulder behind me. It is. I see it. Yeah. Yes. It's in every single image of Vanessa sitting at her desk as girls and sex and boys and sex. That's so nice. Your work, your courage to get out and have these conversations with kids informs so much of how we go about the work that we do and the conversations we have with each other and with our own children and with other people's children with the permission of their adults. So we're going to talk about unraveling your new book, but we're also going to weave in threads from girls and sex and boys and sex and all of the work you've done before this. You've covered so many personal and important aspects of people's arduous journeys about fertility, about raising empowered daughters in complicated worlds that want to keep them down, pornography, pleasure, sex, everything. You've hit it all, Peggy. And so we're going to weave some of that into our conversation today because we can't help ourselves. Are you purposely using all those textile metaphors or just by chance? (gasps) No, I'm not, but I (laughs) should take (laughs) That was one of my favorite spots in that book was the list of all the textile, all the textile metaphors. Right. And there's so many used. more, oh but like one God. of the, I mean, one of my favorites is of course, I mean, because we, because women in particular, but all of us spent so much time making cloth, right? Like when we come into this world, the first thing that happens is we're wrapped in cloth. Mm-hmm. And when we leave this world, the last thing that happens is we're wrapped in cloth. Mm-hmm. And in between we spend a heck of a lot of time wrapped in, you know, wrapped in cloth, but the metaphors are so, there's so many of them and they're so they so permeate our language that even with phones, like when you send somebody a little message, we call it a text, which is the same root as textile. And then mm. the little little responses are threads. Yeah. Right? Like even in our virtual world, we take that with us. I just I love that stuff. In unraveling, there's so many beautiful lines that I underline and the the power of metaphor in your conversation about textile and thread and sort of the natural process of moving one thing to another, but the power of the metaphor with parenting Mm -hmm. is just, I was actually reading the book on a plane, sitting next to my second kid on our way to visit colleges. So aware of the weight of those journeys and your words, just like, I just kind of caught my breath at certain moments where you use language and you use the metaphor of, of weaving and textiling and creating and birthing and all of that in such powerful ways and giving us language, right? Cara and I have juniors. We have kids in college who we've gone through the same journey as you. And then we have kids who were God willing going to launch in a, the next couple yeah. of years. And sometimes it feels like there are no words for this journey mm-hmm. of launching yeah. kids. And I'm curious does the language come easily to you? Does it come naturally to you as we mm. think about this journey? Or do you have to work at finding these metaphors? Well, I mean, first of all, I should say, I didn't actually realize we we're going to be talking about unraveling. I thought we were going to be talking about the sex book. So let me just like rejigger my head a little bit. Um, and the book itself, you know, I mean, books are a braid of multiple strands. And the section that I knew, just so people are up on it, was that during lockdown, when I had nothing else to do after Cara and I met, and I was staring into space in the sense of shock and anxiety of all of us that, you know, could do that and weren't sick and, you know, all that, I decided to pursue this long-held fantasy as a knitter of going from sheep to sweater. I thought, I don't know, everybody's baking sourdough. I'm going to go learn how to shear a sheep and process the fleece and spin yarn and dye it and make it into a sweater. And I'm going to write a book about it. Totally naive, blithe thing to do out of, you know, kind of nowhere. And in the sense that it's very much about women's lives and, and you know, the impact of clothing on the planet and all of that, it has the same, 
idea as my other books that I examine the unexamined about ordinary life and particularly women's lives. Um, but the parts that I didn't know about, there's all these other parts in it, you know, the impact of clothing on the planet, the history, the lore, um, and a lot about, you know, mothers and daughters mm-hmm. and, and parents and daughters. And I don't know if, you know, if the language per se comes easy, the, the concept of letting go of my daughter, who's now a sophomore in college, was brutally painful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard. And, and especially because you go through the teen years, which are so, the earlier teen years, which are, can be so turbulent. And then they start to become sort of delightful. And um, <laughs> and then they leave forever. Like, oh, who the heck made that up? That is terrible. So there was that to get through. But one of the things that happened for me during lockdown was I was, so I was sitting and knitting and I would talk to my mom, but my mom had been dead for four years. So I'm like talking in my head to my mother and I'm and I'm thinking about her and I'm thinking about all the things because she taught me how to knit. And that became such a common theme that that I started abbreviating it. S-F-H-L-M. She learned from her mom. I love and that acronym that you made. It's hard to remember, but yeah. But, it, but it, it got me thinking so much about like the things I learned from my mom that I'm happy I learned, the things that I learned from my mom I wish I hadn't learned, the things mm-hmm. that she, you know passed down to me inadvertently. And then as I looked at my daughter and the mother of a daughter, I didn't teach Daisy, my daughter, how to knit because I do it in a really quirky way. And I didn't want her to learn that way. I wanted her to learn a more efficient, you know, normal way. And I thought, well, there's something, I mean, look at all the things we don't want our daughters to learn from us, Mm. you know, like, our attitudes about body image or the way we knit, you know? So that metaphor stretched all the way through the book for me. So let's go there because body image and weight and how we dress or how we don't dress. There's a, there's a scene in the book where you show up wearing something and your daughter just like eviscerates you. Yeah. And, (laughs) and you make this comment and Cara and I are just like, we were just like, feeling it. You make this comment about how we as parents work so hard to keep our mouths shut about what our kids wear and how their bodies look, how their bodies are changing. Like we try to be so disciplined to not drop our baggage on them. And yet they beat the shit out of us like, oh, yeah. <laughs> at every turn. I know. And so we, Car and I were talking about this. It's like, is that allowed? Is that okay? Like, does the baggage go in two directions? Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I had all that. I mean, and a kind of duality with my own mom where on one hand, she was trying on my jeans to show me that they fell off of her because she was so much thinner than I was. I love my mom. I'm really sorry to make her look bad, but you know, that was not one of her finer moments. And also, you know, she was really good about not saying anything when I was like swanning around in my you know, tube top and, and uh, what are those shoes? Candies and candies, um, corkies, right. Corkies and with my thick lip gloss and my love's baby soft, you know, she didn't say a word. Um, but I feel like, yeah, there's a scene where I, I have my sheep shearing outfit with these shoes, which are these suede shoes because the floor gets full of lanolin, which is the waxy, greasy stuff that sheep exude. And if you wore like hiking boots or something that you would think of that would be a good grippy shoe, it wouldn't grip. You'd just fall on your butt. So you have these special shoes and she walks in when I'm trying them on and says, what are those? Like, you know, she comes out of her little lair during lockdown. And I'm like, these are my new shoes. Don't you like them? I'm going to wear them all the time. And she just went, (laughs) you can't wear those. It's like, I've told her what they were and tried to explain tax write-offs when she asked if I was only going to wear them once. Um, (laughs) And I just kind of thought to myself, yeah, like I spend so much time trying not to slut shame or not to say anything about, you know, her egregious fashion choices or makeup choices and letting her just, you know, do it. And, and she feels no compunction at all. But I think that that's the nature of it, right? Like that's, and sometimes I'm grateful, you know, she's got good taste and she'll tell me when something doesn't look good, which I wouldn't do to her. It's right. And it's the nature of it. And yet it's also the flip side of the coin of safety, right? I mean, you're the safe person. You're the person who she can rail against, right? All of that. But also we're the people who like, if we say one thing, it is so deflating and so painful and so meaningful to them that you just have to, you know, be very, very careful. I don't know if 
you guys have this experience, but I often find myself wondering if the thing I am saying at the moment to my kids is the one thing they're going to remember 20 years from now, right? Because I flash back, I have moments, these snippets, and they are random. There are moments, there are lines that, you know, yes, they hurt or they felt great or they were, you know, they, they were some sort of positive or negative trauma in my brain and that's why they're remembered. But also they feel very random and I don't yeah. remember other things. And so I sit there and I think, is this it? Is this right. the thing that I'm doing? Right. So I will say that even though unraveling and girls and sex and boys and sex are very, obviously very different books in every way, shape or form, I felt like there was a very clear through line in the books in the sense that there's something about the girls and sex and boys and sex content that gives adults permission to think in a certain way, ask certain questions, expose themselves to certain notions that are new in the world. And Unraveling does the same thing, just totally differently, right? And Unraveling is, in some ways, you making yourself vulnerable to sharing your more personal story, as opposed to the journalistic side of going in and sort of saying, hey, hey, adults, I'm here at this fraternity party and I'm going to tell you how it is, or I'm here talking to this kid and I'm going to tell you how it is. Instead, you know, you've really shed that outer layer of, you know, you've, you've made yourself naked in this book in many ways and in a book about clothing, which is, (laughs) which is very, I mean, Peggy, Um, you've opened the door to Cara punning and it's, it's going to get, it's going to get ugly. No idea. Um, But it's, do you, am I making that up? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I wrote a memoir well, it's interesting. My other memoir, which was called Waiting for Daisy, was about infertility and cancer and all and, and trying to have my daughter. And that one ends with her birth. You never see her in the book. And this one ends with her leaving for college. Mm. So they sort of are a bookend of my parenting experience to a great degree. But there was something, and and I think, you know, absolutely that what you said is true. I wanted to go back to that idea of the one, that random comment that people mm. say. Because one thing in this book that I also think is really important in thinking about ourselves, but also thinking about parenting was this lesson on creativity. And I I mean, the, not a lesson, but what I learned about creativity Mm -hmm. and that through much of the book, when I'm doing all these different, learning all these different skills, I'm just going, Oh, I'm terrible at this. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, I'm awful. Oh, I'm so frustrated. And then there's a kind of point three quarters of the way through where I think, Oh, wait, that's the point. Mm -hmm. Right. And and it's the process piece and learning to embrace the beginner's mind and and have that openness. And I remembered having this um, in my office. I used to have this cartoon by Linda Berry on my wall that was called The Two Questions. And she talked about how when she was little, she could just draw like, you know, ideas would just flow out. And then at some point she started asking the two questions that every child learns to ask, which are, is this good or does this suck? Mm-hmm. And that is like the death of your creativity. Mm-hmm. And, I re- and I remembered writing some years ago about this idea of creative mortification, which is this notion that when you're a kid, and this is, you know, this is, I think all of us thinking about ourselves, but also thinking about how we parent and, you know, raise children to have an open mindset, basically, that when you're a kid, you know, you're doing your thing, whatever it is, whether it's, um, you know, painting or drawing or playing music or playing sports or, or messing around with your test tubes, and some adult gives you or maybe another child, I don't know, gives you a too harsh critique. Mm. And you put down that guitar, you put down that paintbrush, you put down Mm -hmm. that pencil, you put down that test tube, and you never do it again. Because mortification means death. And so the big takeaway for me was learning to ask different questions, which are like, what did I enjoy about this? What worked? What could I do different next time? And to embrace experience over outcome. And I think that's a really important thing in parenting. I want to lean into that because someone we both love, Rachel Simmons, yes, talks hi, about... Rachel. Hi, Rachel. I'll send her just that part of the podcast, just that yeah. one clip. Hi, Rachel. Talks about in Curse of the Good Girl, mm-hmm. how it's so difficult for girls, adolescent girls, and going forward in life, young women, college students to take criticism. Because, and you talk about this in the book, Peggy, the desire to please, the need for external validation, and that people stop giving 
girls' criticism because they're afraid of the emotional reaction they're going to get, right? That girls cry, they scream, they shut down, they blow up, you know, any number of ways. And for the three of us on this podcast, I'm sure we can all think back to like yesterday. I was just going to say to yesterday or (laughs) earlier this This morning morning. when I was trying to get an A on something. I don't know what it was. I was trying (laughs) to get an A in making coffee. I don't know, whatever I was trying to get. But that concept of learning to take criticism from others, from ourselves, and you have the most beautiful antidote from actually from one of your guides in the yarn making, I think Christy or Christine. Christine. Uh And she says, and this was just like, this was one of the moments I caught my breath. In the end, it's more about the miles you spin than the perfection of the yarn. (laughs) And I think about it in two ways. One, and Cara and I talk about this all the time, is the striving for perfection in our own work, in ourselves, in our whatever, right? Our sort of type A perfectionist tendencies. And then also this concept of like, oh my God, our children are not perfect, nor will they ever be perfect. And coming to peace with not only our own imperfections, but our children's imperfections. Mm -hmm. As I think about what you did in Girls and Sex and Boys and Sex, where you got kids to open up in their most authentic, honest, and raw ways about who they are and how they behave and what they think, is it easier to talk to other people's kids about these kind of raw journeys, like to see that and acknowledge it? Or is it, is it harder to talk to our own kids about their sort of imperfectness and yeah. all its wonderfulness? Like I've been thinking a lot about that struggle. Like Cara and I are so good at telling other people like, hey, kids aren't perfect and they're going to mess up and we're not perfect and we're going to mess up and we all have to take the do over. And then like, we stop royally screw it up. And then we stop recording and we go downstairs and we like rip into our kids about like leaving the milk out on the counter. Yeah. Right. So like, where is that balance Peggy, as we're like critiquing ourselves and critiquing our kids and, and all of that. I can't believe you just asked that because I was just having this conversation with somebody five minutes before I jumped onto this zoom. And it's fate. It is. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think one thing is you bring a lot of compassion to yourself around it. And I think that sometimes particularly people who do the kinds of work that we do with children, when our children aren't an A, when our, you know, as human beings, when they do something, particularly if it's something that is direct opposition to what we are telling other people, their children, you know, to do, if they do, you know, risky sexual behavior, if they do, you know, something that just is like totally against what we have been raising them to know better than we blow even harder because it they just betrayed our professional you know world and I mean it becomes it becomes like so the, the, there's so many A's that you're not getting in that situation and I was saying um, to a friend that I had just and I do think this is sort of in some ways the dream that my daughter had asked me to talk to if I would talk with a friend of hers who was going through a hard time wow and I felt so honored that she would extend that trust to me. Mm-hmm. And also like, you know, I think what we're, what, what you're trying to build as your children are moving towards being older, cause she's almost 20 is that you are in that advisory role for them, right? That, that they do feel that you're on their team. Um, you're no longer telling them, put the phone down, put the milk away, you know, cause that's done. So that meant a lot to me. And, and I had a really great talk with her friend and I, and then I got off the phone and I thought, could I have done this with her? Could mm. I have done this with her? I don't know. I like to think I could at this point. I know there's times when I blew it so big, so bad that I still like, you know, look back and go, isn't there a way to like go back? Where's my, you know, I mean, they did the iPhone. Can't they do like the teleportation thing where I go back and what happened to the time machine? Where's my damn time machine? In medicine, we call it the retrospectoscope. Yeah. Where is that? Where's my jet pack? Where's my retrospectoscope? Yes, exactly. It has 20-20 vision. I know. know. It's so unfair. I think that what it's going to say about that is that I I think that we we learn over time, I hope, you know, and it's okay to make mistakes and, and, and recognize that and own them with your kids. I mean, I have, you know, when I've made those big, bad mistakes, I've been like, man, I blew it here. I'm so sorry. But also... I think it's why, you know, it's that takes a, takes a village thing too. Like Mm -hmm. I have, you know, been somebody who 
you know, there's been times when I've talked to my nieces or nephews that their parents couldn't or wouldn't or didn't want to or didn't, you know, it, it wouldn't work for whatever reason. And sometimes that's hard because you feel like, why can some other adult do this and not me? But also, thank goodness, you've got those people and those relationships that you cultivated with them. Do you or someone you love have smelly feet? Well, this is for you. We made magical socks. We did. The magic is zinc. With zinc around, bacteria cannot grow. And if bacteria cannot grow, well, then there are no bacteria to eat the sweat. And if there's no bacteria to eat the sweat, then there's no off-gassing. And if there's no off-gassing, then there's no smell. That's how socks work. Check out the link in our show notes or go to myoomla.com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors Ready to Eat Meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor Meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. 
So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Even when it's not big, deep, meaningful conversations, even when it's things that are a little bit more superficial, there are these moments where you might tread into them with your kids and whether you do this for a living or not sometimes feel successful and sometimes oftentimes not. So I had a an instance the other day where my husband and son and I have dinner together every night. I, I don't want it to sound holier than thou. It's not. He's home at like 7.30 every night from practice and he is starving and he is a captive audience and we can get him for 15 minutes because he's so hungry and we just grab that time, right? And then he's off to do the homework and we don't see him for the next couple of hours. And in that little window, which I have come to see as the jewel of my day, right? Because it's sacred. It's just, we grab it. In that window, we started talking about, he's an athlete and we started talking about sports and sort of who, who sells themselves well and who doesn't. And we were looking at these different across different sports, there are all of these different ways that kids communicate their skill level. And in some sports, you're supposed to be on Twitter and you're supposed to be really bragging about yourself. And in other oh, sports, wow. you're, oh, it's very interesting. And in other sports, you're supposed to do this. And it, and it's really very sport by sport. And he, he was teaching us and he, we were listening, we were learning. And I said, towards the end of that 15 minute window, I said, geez, you know, I feel like this is all really interesting information. And I wonder if you feel at a disadvantage because you're not very good at selling yourself. And I thought, Ooh, that came out wrong, you know? Yeah. And he said, um, Oh, okay. Um, whatever, mom, I'm going to, you know, dinner's done. Right. He shut down the conversation. And then later that night, my husband said to me, so interesting. He said, he just called me into his room and he said, I just want to say mom's right. We, and he, he brought my husband into it, which is true, but I, don't think I said it that way. We don't do a good job of selling ourselves. And he's like, and here's a 17 year old. And, you know, he said, how should we do this better? And I thought, this is so interesting. It was an example of a time where I think I, I introduced the subject a little too bluntly. It didn't feel great, but then he went to someone else. He went to his mm -hmm. dad to follow up the conversation because he didn't want me to preach. He wanted to think it through. And that's a good example of a very benign version of what you're describing. Yeah. So mm -hmm. not a hard conversation, but the one where it gets outsourced to someone else and everyone feels honored, right? Yeah. I was like, woo, win. He he heard it. And my husband was like, woo, win. He asked me to speak to him, you know, and it's, and he, I think thought, ooh, win. I got something. I got like a yeah. teachable moment, right? So it's in a, it, that's a moment. That's a powerful yeah. moment. But then they go away. And then they I leave know. you. <laughs> and then every conversation and every text and every phone call is like you're in a long distance romantic relationship. It's like that. With someone who you feel like would maybe break up with you if they could, but since they can't because they're your yeah. child, the relationship is never ending, but you don't really feel like they want to be on the phone with you, right? They'd rather be somewhere else. They would rather be somewhere else. Yes. Well, generally. Well, not not always. Sometimes they need you and sometimes yes. they're happy, which is wonderful. But Peggy, I'm wondering, it's like, so there's the times when you say something and you screw it up, except you can't wander back into their room 20 minutes later and be like, you know, that didn't exactly come out the way I wanted it to, or whatever. And then there are the times when it's beautiful and wonderful. And then there are the times when you feel like your heart is breaking from missing them. And then there are the times when you're like, this is so awesome. I am so excited that they are away. <laughs> what? Don't worry. My kids are not going to listen to this. So they won't even know <laughs> that I said that. What gets better? What gets easier as they're gone? As you kind of fill up that space? What stays hard, right? I heard a text from a friend whose daughter a freshman and she's like, does this ever get easier? Will I ever not cry? And I said, no, I think you'll always cry. You just might stop quicker than the last time. Mm -hmm. So what have you found in this sort of empty nest reality has gotten easier, better, more wonderful and what stays hard? 
Well, one thing that we did, we moved houses. So that kind of helped in a way because she never actually lived here. Mm. Um, we moved after she went to college we, and we didn't tell her where we went. No, <laughs> <laughs> no forwarding address. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, that ache, that feeling that you've like lost a limb or something, you know, that, that kind of gets better for mm-hmm. sure. Like, I feel like there's times when the first year was very hard. And now one thing that's interesting is I feel like spending time together gets better. Like mm-hmm. we, when she's home, we do stuff that she never would have wanted to do. You know, totally. she's like, mom, you want to go for a hike? Mom, you let's go to the museum. Mom, let's, you know, I'm you're just like, like, who are you? What? <laughs> um, she was just home for spring break last week. And, and we, and she came home, she went to New York for a few days to see friends. And then she came home just to see us for, and probably because I was going to give her my car to take back to Los Angeles um, for, for a few days. And uh, yeah. And, you know, we went hiking, we went to two museums, we did all this. We played family games. We um, went, you know, we watched movies. It was like, it was just, it was so much fun. That did make it hard again when she left for a while. Yeah. But I feel like our conversation, I mean, in terms of the parent child relationship, I love our conversations now. I just feel like it's it's opened up a lot of things that were difficult. You know, we're, we're so challenging about parenting. Things like setting rules around screen time, which is like the bane of every parent's existence now, right? Like hell. Well, you don't do that anymore. Yeah. You know? I mean, you also sometimes have to watch them when they're like abusing screen time, but you can't take the three days a, a year you see them and put, you know, that would be ridiculous. Right. So it's just like, okay. You know, I taught you what I can taught you. And if you now don't read a book, I can't make you. But so. Uh, Were you just in my house? Because that was the conversation. I was uh, like, you can read, right? You can yeah, read. You know how, right? <laughs> that's not a rhetorical question. No. But, you know, so that stuff gets better. And and it's it's been interesting to me to have time again, because as, since I don't have a, a job where I go into an office, I guess nobody does anymore, but I don't have a job with structure necessarily. My life is a little baggy right now because mm. uh, because I had kind of allowed the structure of, you know, school and raising a child to give me the structure of my life for a really long time. I can't remember what I did before that. I had a very long I didn't have a baby till I was in my 40s. So, you know, it was not like I didn't have that experience. But, you know, I, I do a lot more. I'm in better physical shape. I'm doing a lot more exercise. I also I've noticed that I'm about to go off. Uh, for an assignment really, but to do a, a trek in Slovenia. Mm. And I know it's weird, but it's, it's very, no, it's by, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I, but I went to REI to get some new hiking boots oh, and Mecca. yes, everybody in there was a empty nest woman. It was so funny. And so I think like they, they were all, and I watched, like I went up to the guy that I was buying the shoes from and, you know, and I said, Hey, you know, um, I need some hiking boots, but I've got like, you know, my, I've got bunions. <laughs> my toes are starting to do funky things. I wear high heels as a young person and my shoot, my feet are all messed up. What do you advise? And he's like saying, well, you could try these and these. And then I'm sitting down with my shoes and the next woman comes over, she goes, I'm going on a trek in Bhutan and I have my feet though. I've got bunions. I've got that. And, I, and oh then she goes and says, and then I swear to God, a third woman came up. <laughs> said, I'm going to go do the Camino and I need shoes, but my feet. Have, and I thought, so this is what we do. We go and we go see the world and we walk the world as um, women because we've got time. We've got energy and we do it with our friends. It's or our husbands or whoever you've got. And, yeah, you, you. I take- just need to add as a side note that I've always thought for a tennis shoe company like a Nike, Adidas, Hoka, do a bunion line, do right? a fasciitis line. There's yeah, a hematoma line. Cons- uh, totally. Okay. Let me, let me just say, but okay, now walk us through what you talk a lot about in this book, which is being in the sandwich generation. And you, are, are living what so certainly what I am living, so many listeners are living, which is you are both launching one end of your family and caring for almost in a maternal way the yeah. other end of your family and sharing out the other side. Yeah. Right. And how have those two impacted you, not just in, in the writing process, but like, you know, what, is, what does it look like now for you? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because now I'm done with both. My dad died in August. And um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I mean, you know, it was time. But so really very close together, 
the child left and the parents were gone. That's Mm -hmm. why I have this kind of baggy life now. I'm like, oh, wow, what do I do with myself? But, you know, before the lockdown, I was going, my dad was in Minneapolis and I was going back constantly. Um, So constantly flying back and forth and all my spare time went to going to Minneapolis. But during lockdown, obviously I couldn't go. And he was, he had dementia. He was also hearing impaired and he was in a facility with an aide. He he was in an independent living, but he was with an aide 24 seven. And you couldn't go in there anyway, even if I could have gone um, mm-hmm. for all that time and didn't know if I was ever going to see him again. And before, you know, I, I would try to talk to him every day when I couldn't see him, but, you know, it was really hard. He had mm-hmm. dementia, again, hearing impairment, you know, like you call and it was just so painful and frustrating. And I would be good about it. And then I would be, you know, then I would feel guilty. And I'd think, ah, oh, I'm going to do it in an hour. No, if I do it in an hour, he's going to be, no, nah, he's going to be eating. No, nah, he's going to, you know, like find reason. But the one thing that, that was amazing during lockdown, you know, having, first of all, I mean, on one end, Daisy has said, and it's been really surprising to me that she, that lockdown was, she loved lockdown. Mm. And that one of the things she loved was the time that we got to spend together because I wasn't traveling mm. and she's just like being able to, even though I felt like she was in her mm. room for a year and a half and I never saw her, but to her, we spent a lot of time together and that she felt it was really great for our relationship. So I was kind of surprised by that. But then with my dad, you know, I couldn't see him. On the other hand, I slowed way down. And then I was doing these, you know, these ancient tasks of spinning and processing and one of the things was carding fleece which you do with like two things that look like dog brushes and you put a little bit on it and you go boom 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 back and forth back and forth and you make a puff and you roll up the puff and you put it aside to spin and it takes like took me like 10 minutes to make a puff I read somewhere you needed to make 579 puffs to make a sweater so if you multiply that out you know that's forever Um, and it was so boring it was so it was like the most boring thing my Dad's aide would put him up on FaceTime and we would, I'd sit and do that with him. And to him, he thought I was in the room with him because mm-hmm. he could see me. He would say like, can you pass me some water, that glass of water peg? Or, um, And we would watch the, he was in Minneapolis watching reruns of the twins that they played during lockdown where they always won, which um, he thought was because of something he was doing with his walker. He said, he would be like, and I, I would say, what is it, dad? And he'd say, trade secret. <laughs> but so, you know, we would just, it just allowed me this time to sit and be with him in a way that my busy life would not have ordinarily allowed. And, and we would sing a lot because we'd sing, you are my sunshine or give my regards to Broadway because the part of the brain that stores lyrics is affected later by mm-hmm. Alzheimer's and dementia. So they can still access that for a much longer time. And he could do that almost till the end. And now that he's gone, now that he's died, I just treasured that time mm-hmm. that I had with him, that time when I just finally could sit there at his pace, mm-hmm. because it's just really when you're in that sandwich generation and you are always thinking like, okay, I got to get dinner on the table. Okay. I got to get, or, or I have to fly back home. I, you know, I can't, whatever it is, you don't, you're, you're never thinking. And what I'm going to do is just sit here quietly mm-hmm. doing nothing with my elder parent with mm-hmm. dementia. Yeah. So it was a gift. Mm-hmm. Can I ask one final question? No. Yeah, no. Yeah, of course you can. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to ask one final ask. question. Go for it. Given the evolution of technology and social media, given the, the new data we have about pornography, given the mm-hmm. post-COVID generation, are you going to write a follow-up to girls and sex, boys and sex? Is there an, another version of what you did that takes into account all of the rapid, rapid changes that are going on in the adolescent culture. What do you think that would look like? What would you want to read? I just love hearing from the kids. I love what you're able to get from the kids, right? There's reading data, which is an, you know, an aggregate of thousands of kids. And as Cara and I always say, the questions that get asked, what are they really asking? Do the kids understand the definitions? Are the nuances clear of what language choices they're making? But In your books, first of all, you get down on the ground with these kids, right? You get down, it's like toddlers, you know, you get, you get eye level with them. And with the adolescents, you get eye level with them. You're in their fraternity parties, you're in their dorm rooms, they're in in the hallways of their school and classrooms without judgment. So it's almost like more of it, you know, almost a sort of companion unraveling is your personal history of getting through COVID and what you learned about yourself and your kid and your life and your future. 
And it's like, we need in some ways, like a, a generational version of that for these kids who lived it, survived it, struggled, hit rock bottom, got up, got to college. You know, the kids who didn't graduate, the kids who didn't have, right? I mean, Cara can talk about. I'm raising my hand. I have something to add to (laughs) exactly that. Add. We have this group of interns, Peggy. They're incredible. They've been on this podcast speaking about what relationships look like in the early 20s and what their parents or their adults expect versus what actually happens. It is exactly as Vanessa says, it's sort of a version 2.0 of a lot of the themes that you've already written about wrapped into this, this memoir frame almost. I think if they were on this podcast and you said, what would you want it to be about? They would say, I would want it to redefine the order of operations of what relationships are supposed to look like which is impacted by gender and by sexual orientation and by laws, shifting laws, but also by probably by earlier puberty and shifting hormones and different hormonal surges and also consent rules and, you know, all of every thread, sorry, pun, Mm -hmm. every thread that you've, you've written about over the years, all braids together for this early 20 something. And we all, I mean, Vanessa is younger enough that Vanessa, I don't know that you feel what I th- I know I felt and Peggy, I'm guessing you felt, which is when I was growing up, it, there was this, you can do it all. You can be everything, mm-hmm. put relationships aside. Don't worry about those. Those will just happen. Go break glass ceilings, get every mm-hmm. degree you can do this, yes. do that. And the relationship will make itself work. And as a result of that, I have a number of fabulous friends who did not find the relationship because they followed the mantra of mm-hmm. break every glass ceiling and be everything you can be. And they became these incredible people in the world who now in their mid fifties say, boy, boy, I wish I had fed and watered that relationship garden a little bit more because they didn't know it needed tending. And you feel like this generation is a long way of getting to the answer, but I feel like this generation, mm-hmm. if the 20 somethings were on here, they would say, we feed and water that garden differently. Mm-hmm. And it looks different. And what we're planting is different. And our adults don't understand that because we don't. It's a different frame for all of us. That's what I think they would want. Interesting. Well, I would like to sit down with them and hear about that. They would love to sit down yeah. with you. I have. I mean, this feels like we, we need to have more conversation about this. But yeah, I mean, I have been, I honestly am trying to think about what I want to do next. I faced the blank page. I came to the end of a whole journey, I think, with this book, with my daughter going to college and everything. And the kind of natural, one natural next step is to start looking at issues of aging Mm -hmm. um, in women and from a, a feminist lens. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot about menopause, but there's not really a lot about what happens after that and keeps on happening Mm because it goes, you know, like life goes on for a long time after our kids leave home and then it gets kind of scary. So that's one direction and another Mm. direction would be something like that. So I really like that, that too. I mean, not that it's personal or anything, but um, (laughs) not that it it would be relevant at all. Honestly, my, my books have so much been a reflection of, of my life course Mm -hmm. um, that it does seem like, and that, except that then what? (laughs) (laughs) Then do I write the book about dying? I mean, I, (laughs) I mean, I was going to say it. I'm glad you did. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was on a college tour this week and I was talking to a woman because I can't help myself, but get to know all the people on my tours because that's what keeps me from falling asleep. Mm -hmm. And she was like, the word retrieval, the word retrieval. They told me it would get better, but it hasn't gotten better. I cannot find my words. Right. And I just, you know, we were talking about menopause and she said, take this and try that. And she's like, and none of it's working. And I just thought how many times a day across the world are those words uttered by different women in different languages about the frustration of feeling abandoned by their bodies or brains or their, you know, abandoned by the world for dismissing it or gaslighting, you know, Mm -hmm. all of those things. So I do think, I mean, people have begged us, Peggy, to do an episode on menopause and post-menopause and Mm -hmm. kind of like, because it's all part of this very, very long journey. So, well, so then you need to write that book. So then maybe we can both, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and I have a weird thing with that because, be, because of my 
my cancer history and stuff, I went through surgical menopause. So I was like, boom, menopause. So I don't even, I always joke that like I had a baby, my daughter was breached. So I had a C-section and then I had surgical menopause. And so I have no idea what these things like birth menopause. What are you talking about? (laughs) I didn't do those things. Yeah. (laughs) But that's also teaches us about inclusivity. I mean, we learn every interview we do, we learn something new about how our conversations can be more inclusive of the entire life experience, right? There's everyone has some part that's not quote unquote, like standard, but they are still, you know, women and men and children and non-binary folks who are like living in their bodies and how does the language and the storytelling be as inclusive as possible? Yeah. So so I don't know. I don't know what the hell we're going to call this episode, Peggy, because it's basically an episode about life. (laughs) The content of Peggy's head. (laughs) What is bouncing around in Peggy's head? (laughs) People would, people would listen to that multiple times. I have no doubt. Yep. My husband would say, please don't do that. Yeah. Except for your, except for your husband. He's the only one who's not interested. But everyone else is. (laughs) Peggy, your, what happens in your head is such a gift. And thank thank you for sharing it. You are remarkable and you have always been a thought leader, always. As long as I can remember, I've been Mm. following your your work. I can't believe I know you. Ah. (laughs) I feel lucky to know you. Um, (laughs) I'm so grateful. We're so grateful that you joined us today. Thank you. Thank you. Do tell us what's next and we will jump in and be a voice or share our interns' voices as often as we can because everyone wants to be on the Peggy train. (laughs) Well, thank you. This was super, super fun. Anytime, anytime. Thank you, Peggy. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com yet. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.